Welcome to the Nonlinear Library, where we use text-to-speech software to convert the best writing from the rationalist and EA communities into audio. This is, What We Tried, COVID Response AMA, published by Jan Colviet on March 21, 2022 on the Effective Altruism Forum. This post is part of a series explaining my part in the EA response to COVID, my reasons for switching from AI alignment work for a full year, and some new ideas the experience gave me. Here we means Jan K, Epidemic Forecasting, people who came together to advise the Czech government, plus a large cast of EA researchers. This was almost always a collective effort, and when I, Jan K, write from a first-person perspective I am not claiming all credit. This post gives a rough idea of the experiences and data I base the conclusions of the other posts on. It summarizes the main pieces of work we did in response to COVID. The goal is not to give a comprehensive description of all we did, nor of all the object-level lessons learned. It's not that there isn't much to say, in my estimation the efforts described here represent something between a large portion and a majority of the impact that effective altruists had on the COVID crisis in its first 18 months, although some other efforts were more visible in the EA community. But a full object-level analysis would be extremely long and distract from the more important generalizable conclusions. Also, some things are limited by confidentiality agreements. This is often the price of giving advice at the highest level. If you want to participate in important conversations, you can't leak content from them. Our work can be roughly divided into three clusters. The EpidemicForecasting.org project. Advising one European government. Public communications in one country. EpidemicForecasting.org project. EpiFor was a project founded in the expectation that epidemic modeling as a discipline would fail to support major executive decisions for a number of specific reasons. For example, I expected. Because of the fog of war, information would not reach the right places. The epidemic modeling field had a culture of not sharing raw model results publicly, but models and estimates need to be public to allow iteration, criticism, and validation. Academic modeling would focus on advising high-prestige customers such as US CDC or UK SAGE SPIM. So for the majority of the world population, those in developing countries, decision-makers would be underprovided with forecasts. Academic epidemic modeling would neglect user interfaces optimized for decision-making. No multi-model comparisons, i.e. showing the results of several different teams side-by-side, or at least no comparison usable by non-specialists. It is very difficult to know what to believe when you only have one model, and your decisions become non-robust. The data would be bad. In practice, modelers use the wrong input data, for example, number of confirmed cases instead of estimate of actual infected cases. This is besides the data being incredibly noisy. By default, even many good models would not be presented as an input suitable for decision-making. To make decisions, you need scenarios, if we do X, then this will happen. So predictions that already implicitly include an estimate of how decisions will be made in their prediction of the outcomes are hard to interpret. This severely limited the usability of for example the metaculous forecasts. Many models wouldn't handle uncertainty well. Uncertainty over key input parameters needs to be propagated into output predictions, and should be clearly presented. In hindsight, this was all correct, my guess was that these problems would lead to many deaths, certainly more than thousands, maybe millions, by failing to improve decisions which would by default be made in an ill-informed, slow and chaotic manner, on the basis of scarce and noisy data and justly untrusted, non-robust models. After about two weeks of trying to convince people in a better position to do something, and realizing no one else would, Epifer started. To be clear, when I started thinking about this, the world at large was still very confused about COVID. The other thing I did was betting against the stock market, getting 10x returns in two weeks. 
I recruited fellow researchers from FHI and a bunch of friends from Zia. We launched with this mission statement. To create an epidemic forecasting and modeling platform, presenting uncertain and probabilistic data to the informed public, decision makers and event organizers in a user-friendly way. Initially, we focused on getting a pipeline combining forecasting techniques to get parameter estimates for unknown but critical model inputs, such as real number of infected people, using state-of-the-art epidemic models to extrapolate into the future, and presenting the results in a nice user interface which emphasized the agency of decision makers. It always presented multiple scenarios, based on the user selecting their response strategy and mitigation strength. Initial phase. The broad plan was to have impact through improving others' decision-making. Do the modeling, present outputs on a web dashboard. Present the current situation estimate, nowcasting, and a few basic scenarios for most countries in the world, for example no restrictions, mild response, strong response. Offer custom forecasting support for decision-makers in impactful positions. Support specific decision-makers pro bono to cut out the slow procurement process. The dashboard went viral in some countries, although not in the Anglosphere. Also, at some point of time, it had the best worldwide estimates of actual case numbers, often different from confirmed case numbers by one or two orders of magnitude. This was based on novel ways of combining forecasts and mathematical models, for example calibrating some parameters on the output of superforecasters for a few countries, extending this to all countries using several simple mathematical models, and feeding this as inputs into a large, state-of-the-art epidemic model. The bets on inadequacies listed above proved correct. We soon received a larger stream of requests than we were able to handle. We needed to prioritize, and did that based on the scale of clients. In the end we focused on advising several state-level governments in Pakistan and participating in the Africa CDC Modeling Consortium. Due to limited capacity, we dropped some very large clients, the largest one being the Ministry of Health in another greater than 100M country, and many which seem smaller, including greater than 10M countries and various NGOs. While we sadly had to turn down most of these requests for help, the initial conversations with prospective clients gave us a pretty good idea of what the different countries, governments and cities were dealing with. Research efforts. The practical needs of forecasting generated a stream of research questions. One very obvious one, which of the interventions world governments are trying actually work? How effective is each? This led us to create a database of interventions and, in parallel, a Bayesian model of their effectiveness. The creation of the database in particular was a large group effort, with dozens of EAs from many countries joining in. Collecting this data was a generally sensible idea, so multiple other teams did this without us being aware, most notably a team in the neighboring Blavatnik School of Government, University of Oxford, literally a five-minute walk from FHI. We released the dataset basically at the same time as they released OxCGRT. Looking at their website, 100 volunteers, better presentation, we dropped our effort, assuming their project had much more manpower and would have better data, and that it made little sense to compete. It's not entirely clear that this was a good choice, because OxCGRT has several built-in choices that make the dataset extremely difficult to use for modeling the impact of interventions. Therefore, if you see studies that try to correlate the OxCGRT stringency index and for example mortality data, it's wise to have a garbage-in, garbage-out prior on their results. Mid-March, we started modeling NPI effects, based on a Bayesian model. Again, this was a sensible thing to do. On 30th of March 2020, a team at ICL released the now-famous Report 13, Flaxman et al., estimating the aggregate impact of NPIs, which was highly influential on the global response to COVID. Again, we considered dropping our efforts, but our early results seemed promising and we wanted to include cost-effectiveness estimates, to be discussed in following posts, 
Also we noted a number of shortcomings with the Flaxman report, principally their being unable to disentangle the effects of individual policies. Instead they used lockdown to mean the whole package of NPIs including stay-at-home orders. This was the correct modeling choice on their side, given that their small dataset did not have enough variance to disentangle NPI effects. But equivocating between NPIs in general and stay-at-home orders in particular may have exacerbated unhelpful binary divisions, as if the policy options were locked down or nothing. Writing down our early results sprawled into a much larger research project than initially expected, a complete rewrite of the model into a modified form of the Flaxman et al. model, plus an ever-increasing list of sensitivity analyses. This really seems to have pushed up the standards of quality in the field of epidemic modeling. Half a year after we started out, the paper was accepted for publication in Science. Based on its altmetric score, it became one of the top 10 most discussed papers in the journal's history. It was also widely read in the modeling community and used by civil servants in multiple governments. Later, this line of research continued and expanded. We also came out with one of the first Bayesian estimates of COVID seasonality, the effect of winter on transmission. EAs associated with the project went on to write many other papers, estimating impacts of NPIs in the second wave, properties of the Delta variant, the effect of mask wearing, and more. Advising vaccine manufacturers. In late spring 2020, we discovered a possibly large opportunity for impact, advising vaccine companies. Vaccines are often seriously delayed by phase 3 clinical trials. These depend on getting sufficient statistical power, i.e. a threshold number of positive cases, which in turn depends on the trial sites being in places with large infection rates. But selection of trial sites often needs to happen months, or at least many weeks in advance, due to complex logistics, contracting etc. As a consequence, forecasting epidemic dynamics on a scale of multiple months can speed up trial results by months. This is a timescale where the impact of interventions and behavioral changes is very large, which means you also need to forecast what humans will do over the period as opposed to just how the epidemic will spread independently of changes in human action. We got invited to participate in a modeling consortium for one large vaccine manufacturer, and provided some valuable inputs. We were in discussions with another large vaccine manufacturer, but we didn't end up working for them. Clearly, the counterfactual impact of this type of work depends on how much variance there is between the considered trial site locations, i.e. successfully suppressing the pandemic makes the trial harder. It seems we live in a world in which there was a lot of COVID in many places, so the ex-post counterfactual impact of this work was small. Ex-ante, this was an excellent opportunity, and probably the ex-ante most impactful EA attempt to speed up vaccines. Advising outside of epidemic. Forecasting. Mostly independently of epidemic forecasting's efforts, I gradually began to participate in consulting in Czechia. This included. Work on a smart quarantine system. I was one of the architects of the new contact tracing solution for Czechia in March 2020. Advocating rapid tests for mass asymptomatic testing. NPI autopilot. In Czechia, we were key members of a small committee designing PES, an automatic metric-based system which adjusted the country's active non-pharmaceutical interventions based on risk. Helping to create and run the Czech equivalent of the UK Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies, which guided the Czech government's efforts from March 2021 to June 2021. For me, this experience has been quite a rich source of insight into the workings of governments. I have spent high tens, maybe low hundreds of hours in meetings with members of government. Unfortunately, as I mentioned in the introduction, specific things I can say about this are bound by expectations of confidentiality. Also, my role was non-political advice on epidemic control, not criticism or praise of specific actors. What I can say is that my observations about the Czech government's crisis response overlap with Dominic Cummings's testimony about the UK's. 
This was quite surprising to me, I had expected less generality in such things. But based on conversations with others in similar advisory roles, it seems that a lot of things about the functioning of governments and related authorities generalize, at least to liberal European states. Public communication. Early in the pandemic, I started using my personal Facebook account to comment and report on the state of the Czech epidemic, research updates, controversies, hyped pharmaceuticals, effective interventions, and so on. Often the comments were a meta-perspective on Czech COVID discourse. Describing the influence and impact this had would make this text substantially longer, so here's a short summary and some highlights. My Facebook was soon followed by, the majority of Czech journalists covering COVID, maybe 20% of the political class active on social media, in which I include politicians, their advisors, public intellectuals, tech entrepreneurs, etc. Probably the best result of this was the ability to repeatedly share my background models of what was going on with this group. Some of them use these either in decision-making, or communication with the general public. Some positive feedback was that people said they felt less anxious after reading me. A more bizarre manifestation, when I was in a formal advisory role, was the mainstream media running stories based entirely on my blog posts, for example this article by the Czech CNN consists entirely of quoting and paraphrasing my Facebook post, and a short response by one minister responding to what I wrote. Also, at the height of the crisis, I was getting a thick stream of requests for interviews, TV appearances, talk shows, etc. I refused basically all requests to speak live on TV, tried it once, I'm not an effective TV speaker, and also refused most interview requests from mainstream media. I wrote a few op-eds, and did a few interviews with the most popular online newspaper in the country. The most shared op-ed was read directly by about 0.5 million people, 5% of the population. It is out of the scope to describe in any detail what I took away from it, but one highlight is probably worth sharing I always tried to adhere to a high epistemic standard. It seemed to me that there was a non-massive but significant group of people who appreciated it and were looking out for this intervention. This makes me broadly optimistic about efforts to improve general epistemics, or build epistemic institutions. Ask me anything. That's probably enough detail for a general post. If you're interested in anything particular about the above work, I will do an Ask Me Anything session on Thu 24th, possibly with other Epi for members. I will be able to answer questions which concern broad topics rather than for example decisions of individual decision makers. Many people have been involved in the efforts described. Contributors to the projects described above include Jacob Lagaros, Jan Bronner, Tim Tellin Lawton, Ozzy Guin, Daniel Hnike, Nora Aman, David Johnston, Tomas Gavensiak, Hugo Lagaros, Sawyer Bernath, Veronica Nivoltaova, Connor Flexman, Josh Jacobson, Mrinank Sharma, Soren Minderman, Annie Stevenson, John Salvatier, Vladimir Mikulik, Swale Osif, Nuno Sempere, Matej Henke, Jonathan Wolverton, Elizabeth Van Nostrand, Lucas Nalitsenek, Jerome Ng, Katril Friedman, Thomas Witsony, Jakub Smid, Maxim Balatsko, Marek Pukai, Pavel Janata, Elena Hazaran, Scott Eastman, Tame Basiraglu, Bruno Jan, Damon Cham, Raphael Quadrat, Vidjar Kapoor, Lynch Jong, Alex Norman, Ben Snowden, Julia Fabienne Sankuler, Hanna Kalivodova, Teresa Vasella, Vojta Veasley, Gurpreet Daliwal, Jan Viahuja, Lucas Finveden, Charlie Rogers Smith, Joshua Monrod, Lenka Pribilova, Veronica Hinova, Irina Kotakova, Mihal Benesh, David Frontishek Wagner, Petter Simisk, David Mannheim, Oliver Habrika. Thank you. Note they are not responsible for this post or the views expressed in it. It's great that other people tried other things, and this is not a criticism of other efforts. If anyone is interested, 
it should be possible to build a research career around blending forecasting and mathematical modeling. We also have some historical results in the drawer. The EpiFor team doesn't have the capacity to write up and publish them, but we would likely be happy to advise if for example someone wanted to do this as part of a master's thesis. For discussion, see here and here. Thanks for listening. To help us out with the nonlinear library or to learn more, please visit nonlinear.org.